Okay, welcome to the Get Above the Line podcast. Today I have a special guest. It's my advisor on everything except for relationships. No offense, Kristen. <laughs> I've been married a long time. So. <laughs> He's also a 25-year veteran of the, of the mortgage industry. He's a winner of numerous customer service and production awards. Now, with no further ado, Eric Kimball. Hey, man. Glad to be here today. So today... Actually, yeah, we've been doing business together, what, 10, 12 years? You're one of the first people I met when I moved to Lexington. Yeah, been a minute. Janice Mueller yeah. introduced me. She said, come on up here. This guy's from Michigan, too. Every once in a while, there's those few little decisions that you make in your life that just you don't realize what those repercussions are along down there. And me walking down that hall and saying, you know, when she said, hey, come down here and check this guy out yeah. and saying hi was, was definitely one of those moments. We've cashed a lot of checks together. Yes, we have. Let's talk about mortgages. Man, the market's heating up. I mean, we're busy. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about, oh, we don't have anything going on. We've been really, really busy with applications. Yeah. Uh, the inventory is a little low, like everybody knows. So you're not getting, we're not seeing those, those contracts quite coming through yet. But the activity and the people that we're talking to is, it's really, really hitting uh, it's unseason- up. It's unseasonable. Yeah. I mean, most it's of the time. It's rare to see. Yeah. I mean, I know because of COVID, we've gone through a couple weird cycles, but I've never seen uh, January start off like that. Maybe it's because we're more efficient, we're working harder. I don't know, but we've been you know, we've it, been crushing. Yeah, December in the last five or six years, December's been in my top three or four months every year. Last year it wasn't. Which, oh well, uh, last year was like the bottom fell out. Yeah, <laughs> I was the like ready to jump out. off a bridge in December. So it was rough. With rates kind of coming back a little bit, we're starting to see what we usually would see in December come through now. And yeah. I think that's really what it is. Is it just delayed that December over into January, where everybody's right. starting to really kind of put together and they they start saying, "What do I want to do this year?" And and a lot of people have home ownership on the top of their list. So I want to pick your brain about a couple of things. I've been having some really good conversations with the guys that work here. You know. A couple of them who are doing a first-time homebuyer seminar with you. Mm-hmm. So, what are the big biggest factors when it comes to a credit score? I tell everybody, you know, it's it's a lot more than just paying your bills on time. Okay. When you look at someone's credit, the first thing that I always look at is how long they've had it and what type of credit. I love to use this example, and this woman, I've even asked her if I could use her credit report and block her name out. She told me yes. This woman had not missed a payment in 25 years, and her credit score was a 585. Wow. When I looked at it, the only thing she had on her credit report was 87 finance company accounts. And I'm not saying that number just out of the blue. Finance companies. Yeah. She literally had those personal finance companies. So, like, appliances, furniture. Like Republic Finance. Oh, oh, you're talking about, like, taking out loans. Yeah. Like like a a loan from a... Yeah, like one of those little finance company loans. Gotcha. And she just couldn't understand why she couldn't get her credit higher. Well, what happens with those companies is they'll... You'll go in there and you'll open up a loan for $2,500, okay? You pay on it for four months and then they call you and they go, hey, we can lower your payment. And they'll refinance it. Well, guess what? You close a new loan, open a new one, max it out. And then Mm. you close it, open it, max it out. So it it. never gets that history that you're able to... Pay down. Well, you pay down or show that you can keep an account open for quite a while. Right. You know, and people forget that there's a hierarchy in credit. You know, you have your 
your house loans up here, you know. I mean, if somebody misses. So, what that, are the different types of credit? You say well, so. Yeah. Okay. So, what are the what what are they? I mean, I call it I call it like your house loan, your big, you know, collateralized okay. mortgage loans. Okay, those are obviously going to weigh the, the most on there, and you know, you miss one of those, and it can really hurt you. Underneath that, I call it your installment loans. You're still securitized, you know, car, RV, boat, you know, those kind of loans. Okay. And then underneath that, you have a regular you know, merchant or retail credit card, I guess, or a non-retail credit card. I, I, sorry, like a regular Capital One card, a regular okay. Bank of America card. Okay. And then underneath that, you have your retail and merchant credit cards. Okay. They're your Gap card, your Kohl's card, your Walmart card. Underneath that. So those are less. So we're going down the most impactful to the least impactful. Okay. So right. underneath the. Underneath that is the finance companies. Oh. Okay. So that's the the very. Uh, that that that's probably the thing that's going to affect your credit the least. Is that what you're saying? It's, well, what I'm it's saying not going to improve. It's not going to help you, or it's not going to help you as much as you as having a mortgage loan on there. A few things that somebody's sitting in those situations, like this woman, I told her, I said, "Here's what you do: do not refinance that loan," because right. they, these these companies called her up, and it was a lot of times they are like, "Oh, for Christmas we'll give you an extra 250 bucks and lower your payment fifty dollars." Well, on, in the surface, you're like, heck, yeah, I'll do that. But she's not looking at the principal. But she's not looking at what that really does to her overall credit portfolio. Right. So I told her, I said, do not finance this loan. She walked into her credit union, got a personal loan, paid that off, got a uh, credit card through her credit union. Okay. Okay. Six months later, she's a 780 credit score. Six months. Wow. You know, she bought a house, she closed, she's happy. And after being told no for 30 years, nobody ever told her why. You know, and six months later, she's buying a house. So there's different types of credit. Mm -hmm. Then what else? Payment history? Payment history, how long somebody's had it. Somebody says, hey, I went and opened up a credit card this morning, so my credit should be great next month. It takes about six months for a credit card to really register on somebody right. on their credit. One thing that I get asked a ton is how to build credit. One of the best ways to build credit, like what I did with, with my son, is as soon as he turned 18, I added him to one of my credit cards. Okay. So he was added to a credit card that had been open longer than he'd been alive. Okay. So he got to pick up on all that history, you know? So we went and checked his credit the next month and he's in the 700s. He's wow. 18 years and one month old. Yeah. You know, and that kid starts off with a 700 credit score. It's a huge way to kind of give your kids an advantage to push through on that stuff. And that's probably the number one call that I get is how can I fix my credit really fast? Which what I tell everybody is, you didn't break your credit in a minute. It's not going to get fixed in a minute, you know, and it just depends on what you have. Right. You know, and how can I build my credit? Most people just don't know. So then what about the amount to the, you know, like a loan to value or loan to, I don't know what they call it with credit card. What, what do they call it? It's, it's your it's ratio to high balance. High balance ratio. Yeah. So, I mean, if you owe, you know, if you have a credit card that you, you went out there and you opened it up today and it's a $500 limit. Okay. And you put $475 on it that month and you're like, well, I paid off every month. You're at a 95% utilization. Right. That's going to hurt your Even if you score. pay it off. Even if you pay it off. And okay. I'll talk about that in just a second on how you can trick the system and help you out on that. Okay. Everybody thinks you have to go out there and use it a whole bunch. I tell everybody, if you're going to do this and you want to build credit, take that credit card, put the first tank of gas each month on it, and then pay it off when the bill comes in. Just a tank of gas. Just a tank of gas. Because okay. now your utilization is, let's say it's 50 bucks for your tank of gas, you got 500, now you're 10%. And it shows that, yes, I've got this card, but I can be responsible with it. Now, if you are one of those people, which I am, I use my credit cards a lot in business, and I have some high balances on there sometimes. Yeah. People don't realize that credit cards do not report to the credit reports on the first of the month. They don't. 
They okay. report to the credit reports the day that your statement is printed. It's called your statement date. So open up your credit card balance. And on there, let's say your statement date, like the one on my business card, is the 8th of the month. That means on the 8th of the month, whatever I owe gets reported to the credit reports. Mm. Whether I pay it in full or not, that's what gets reported. So if you have a credit card that you owe $475 on and it's a $500 card, that's what gets reported. So I put an alert on my phone on the 4th. To pay before. And I go in there and I pay it down to everything but 50 bucks. I'm going to pay it off anyways. I've just gotten to a habit of looking at it on my phone app and sit and pay, make payment and pay it. Right. Because that's what everybody does anyways. Once the statement comes out, they just go in there to phone app and pay it. Okay. And then I've got a credit line of this much and I'm only using this much. So that, that helps with the credit. It helps huge. I mean, I've had several customers I've told that little trick to and a month later they call me back and they're like, you know, or two weeks later. It depends on when that statement date is. Different types of credit. Different types of credit. Payment history. Payment history and length of history. Length of history. The longer and you have a card open or a car payment or a house payment, you know, in the 25 years or 23 years I've been doing this, I still remember the woman that I had the highest credit score I've ever seen. She was in the 830s. Hmm. When I looked at her credit report, it had two trade lines, three trade lines, a car that had been paid off for nine years, a house loan that she'd had for 26 years, and a Sears credit card that was opened in 1974 hmm. that she owed like $25 on because she bought a garden hose or whatever. Okay. That, and I've never seen a credit report like that in 20 some years. And it was like my second year in business. Her name was Patricia. I can tell you her last name, but I won't. But I called her and I said, and every year I call, I call her just check in. And she's, same thing. I was like, honey, no one's ever beat your credit score. She goes, that's good. That's, that's good. Awesome. But it's just, that's the, what it takes to really get your credit. It's longevity, history, and maintaining. So someone that doesn't have much credit or hasn't, didn't, their parent didn't put them on a credit card, they want to buy a house or they really haven't paid attention to credit. They know they pay everything on time. What would you say the first steps for someone that wants to buy a home would be? Get someone in the profession to actually look at their credit and give them some, some advice. Like you Credit know. Karma? Credit Karma is, is, is a good way to see what's on there. Um, the scores that are given off by Credit Karma are not accurate. They can be high or low by, I've seen as much as 120 or 130 points. Why is that? There's a way that, there's a reason Credit Karma keeps it free. They do their own scoring model. Oh. Me, when I pull a customer's credit report, I have to pay for that. Well, I'm not paying for the credit report. I'm paying for the scoring. Credit Karma has their own scoring model. Oh. Okay. So they're they're looking at the history. They're looking at they're they're coming up with their own score, which mm -hmm. is different than what's is it FICO? Is that who makes the scoring model or is who I mean there's a couple different scoring models, but yeah. FICO is a very common one. Yeah. And they try to keep it as close and as accurate as possible, but I tell everybody credit scores are like fingerprints and everybody is different. And they try yeah. to build a program that is all inclusive, like the FICO score. They just haven't perfected it yet. So you're just trying not to say to call you when they want to buy a house. That, I would that's say probably the first thing they yeah, should do. Call call a professional. Call someone who does this for a living. Um, you know, the credit specialist out there. There are some very good ones that do a really good job. So if I'm going to buy a house in six months, when should I call? Right now. If I'm going to buy a house in a year, when should I call? Right now. When I'm going to buy a house in two years, when should I call? Right now. I mean, the earlier you get get on a plan of attack, the better you're going to be situated when the time comes. Someone that put all this time and all this energy into getting their credit score going, what are some of the mistakes you've seen people make prior to closing on a house? Mm. Opening new accounts, transferring money. Opening new accounts. Like, mm -hmm. what about what about the zero 
down or the zero payment for 90 day accounts or zero zero. What if they don't have a payment until 12 months from now? I mean, does that count against their, it can count against them because they still have that high balance to, to payment ratios. Right. You know, the one that, that, that I've seen a lot lately, uh, and I don't know if it's just some, it's just been some anomaly that I've just seen in the last 12 months, but I've seen it probably half a dozen times in the last 30 days is these Christmas clubs that are starting to report their credit reports. Christmas clubs. Yeah. I mean, people, I mean, you can get like a credit card. They call it a Christmas club where you basically pay in money and then you get to use that money for Christmas, but then you have to pay it back. Well, to me, that sounds like a credit card. Yeah. Um, but the way that they're reporting it is balances due in whole, but they give you a certain amount of time to pay it. So it's like a savings account. It's like a savings account. That's like a credit card or what, what's the, why would someone do that? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, quite honestly, I don't know enough about them to talk about them, but it's just something that it's an anomaly that I've seen in the last 30 days that I've seen it more in 30 days than I've seen it in previous 20 years. So it throws off their ratios. It throws off their stuff because they're reporting the whole balance as the payments. You know, so it can be a little bit of tricky and you, hey, you got to pay this off, you know, in order for us to qualify, which most people, right. not a big deal. Like the one I had the other day, though, was $1,800. Yeah. You know, so they had to come up with an extra $1,800. They had to pay it off. Yeah. And that's a little bit different of a uh, of a talk. So I guess I probably started this off wrong because I should have asked you, what are the factors that go into getting a mortgage first? Because we're going through those factors, but yeah. we, didn't, we didn't outline them first. We should have outlined what the factors are that you're looking at when someone applies for a mortgage? I tell everyone, I mean, I go off of the, and this is something that some people that have been in the business a long time are going to know this old term. I call it the scorecard. You know, there's five points of a star. Okay. Credit, income, uh, debt-to-income ratio, collateral, okay. down payment. So down payment is self-explanatory. Right. Okay, the more money you put down, the more secure you are on getting a loan, obviously, and you get right. those better rates and better terms and, and the higher and you know, the, the less amount of money you put down, the higher rates you get. I'm getting a lot of those calls lately where, you know, these rates are being advertised. Oh, they've hit 6.6. You know, I locked somebody in at a, a 7 or a 7 and a quarter percent 45 days ago or 30 days ago. And right. I want that 6.6, but they put down 5%. Well, in that small print, that 6.6 is for somebody who puts down 20% and has yeah. perfect credit. So right. it's a sliding scale on that stuff. So the more down payments you have, obviously, the better off your situation is going to be. Income, it's stability. That's really what they're looking for. Stability in, in yeah. the income compared to the amount of debt, right? No. I mean, the income stands by itself. Debt ratio is a different oh, it's a whole different yeah. uh, start of the fort. Or you know. St- uh, so, fort or point to the star. Yeah. If you have on your income, if you've been on your job for eight years, well, you're pretty stable. If you've had four jobs in a year, you're not very stable. Got it. Even if that job, every job you've made, you know, you started at $10 and now you're at $18, we still want to see that stability out. Right. You know, we want to see that you're in it for the long haul because we're giving you a mortgage for 30 years, not for four months. Right. You know, so that stability is a big deal. How you're paid, uh, how long you've been doing it, all that kind of stuff plays into it. The debt to income ratio obviously is, is huge. And that is a ratio of how much you make as compared to how much you spend. Somebody has a car payment, you mm-hmm. know, $500 or $1,000 or whatever. You know, let's call it 1000 They've got... Uh, as far as the credit credit cards, you're going off what the minimum payment is? The minimum payment. What else is factored in that? I mean, student loans, even if you're not making a payment, we still have to figure in a factor on those. Oh. 
Is okay. that the payment amount? or is it's that Well, it can be the payment amount if they're actually making payments. If they're not making payments, it depends on the loan product. It can be between a half percent of that balance or 1%. Okay. It can be pretty significant. Yeah. You know, and that's something that everybody, well, I'm not, I don't have to make payments on what it. Else? What else? What about a cell phone bill? No, cell phones don't show up. A cell phone bills don't. Only things that report to the credit are what we're kind of looking at. Okay. You know, it's kind of one of those... Everybody's like, well, I've been paying my water bill for 25 years, so I've been my credit's perfect. Well, right. your water bill, your electric bill, all those things don't report to your credit unless you weren't perfect. Right. You know, you get a collection. So it's more about what's reporting to your credit. So when I tell people is if you're really not sure what's reporting to credit, go on Credit Karma and look what's on there. Yeah. It'll show you what's on there. The scores might not be accurate, but it'll show you what's on there. So all those things added up, what are you looking for? Ideally, I try to keep my clients... For a perfect client in my world is I like to keep it at 25% and a 41%. So what those numbers are is the 25% is how much of your house of your gross income. The 41% is how much all your bills, including the new house, with your total income. Okay. Okay. Gross. Okay. So, you know, if you make $1,000 a month, so math tells you you should have your house payment around 250 bucks. That's for a perfect world. Now, there's some situations where you can go a little higher, but I don't like to stretch that too much. I take a lot of pride in the fact that I don't get a lot of phone calls from my clients that are in trouble. What's the range for the credit scores? Um, I like to stay 600. Uh, there are some programs you can go under 600, but it becomes so egregious in what you have, the hoops you have to jump through that you might as well set your life, yourself on fire. It's easier. 600 credit score is kind of the minimum. Obviously, you know you can go all the way up to whatever it is, and it depends on the program. And, but 600 is kind of that line in the sand where you really, and, and usually if I have somebody with a 600, I can take a look at their credit report. And if they give me that six month head start, yeah, I can take that 600 and tell them how to get to a 660 or 680. Yeah. And what that really does for them long-term is it saves them a ton on interest rates. What's the difference in the interest rate between a six and a 600? The other day I looked and I had one that was almost three quarters of a point. Wow. Which is a lot. I yeah. mean, your $200,000 house, I mean, that could be. $25,000 over the life of that loan. Right, which is a reason to yeah. talk to someone as soon as possible. It's a reason to talk to somebody as soon as possible. That's a $25,000 phone call. So we hit all the points on the star? Oh, or uh, uh, assets, right? That's another one? Well, was was down, that, another one? that was part of down payment. But collateral, that's kind of the property you're buying. What kind of a house you're buying? Where's it at? Is it unique? Is it you know, out yeah. in the middle of nowhere? Is it a manufactured home? Is it a regular stick-built home? And people don't think that that really plays into it, but it really does. When you're a lender or a bank, you're looking at, you know, you have to hedge your risk, you know, and what happens if this does go bad? Is there an easy solution to sell it? You know, and that's why sometimes raw land is a whole different ball game. Yeah. Big farms are a whole different ball game. You know, single wides, manufactured homes are a different ball game. You know, that great big white albatross in a neighborhood can be harder to finance than the house that's just a regular plain Jane house. The dome house. Yeah, the dome houses are, are unique. They're just a little bit tougher to do. You know, I you was can... just talking to someone that had, it was like really messy what he had going on with this property. There were a two, manufactured berm home? No, there was a manufactured <laughs> home and a regular home on it. In the plat, it was being resurveyed, and there was a piece of land that got taken off the back of it, and they're putting this together, and they no appraisals will come out, and it's the middle of nowhere. Uh, I'm like, man, how did you get this deal? This is like one that I have to deal with. You know? Yeah. But it's pretty interesting. Yeah, there's um, a lot of there's a lot of wacky situations we come up against all the time. We had a really good conversation the other day, and it didn't record. Remember? Well, I mean, the one thing that I and I've had this call come up uh, 25 times in the last week and a half since yeah. we talked about it. And the one thing that I'm getting the biggest questions on 
is all these people that have these really low interest rates on their current house. Yeah. They think the best solution for them long term is to keep that house and rent it out. And you have to look at all facets, not just yeah. that interest rate. You know, right. yeah, having a 3% on that house is fantastic. Oh, I should keep it and rent it out. But so much more goes into that decision that they don't look at. Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with a client just before I came into here right. that day and we talked about it. And he had like $200,000 worth of equity in this house. And he was going to take and buy a house here and put way less money down and get a 7% interest rate or 675, yeah. whatever it was, to keep this house over here because he had a, uh, I think his rate at that time was like a 299. Right. And when I did the math and he was going to rent it out, he was going to make $500 a month renting it out. Yeah. And it was going to save him or cost him $700 a month yeah. over here. I, now it's coming back to me because those are the kind of conversations that I've been having lately too. Is like, cause, of, cause I was talking to someone's mother yeah, and she said, she told her son not to buy a house. I asked her if she had a 3% interest rate. She said, yes. So then I understood the logic behind it, but it's like so many people get caught up in that logic, whether it's someone that's going to, their house is too small. They're having another baby, but they're going to stack another kid in the same room they can afford to buy a new house, but they're not going to because they're going to keep the 3% interest rate. Like, it's just like, <laughs> it, there's, there's all sorts of things. And the amount of equity that people have gained yeah. over the past five years, the amount of equity that they've gained, if they do the math of them taking that equity and putting it down on this next house, it all equals itself out. Like it just doesn't. I read, I read an incredibly interesting article yesterday and I'll have to send it to you. It was, it was what is considered the magic rate to spur the market. And all of the talk in it was, at what rate does somebody with that 3% change their mind? At what rate do they start jumping on board? And the magic number is 2% over what they have. That's oh, what it is. Oh, so, so 5, yeah. 5%. Yeah, so if they're at 3%, 5%. If they're at 375, 5.75. By the time, but we're seeing it already in the market. Well, we just had the conversation about how much the market's changed at the beginning part of this year, just based on 1%. Yeah, the rate drop in one percent. So what from the peak, right? Like, so what's are we gonna, we're down a percent and a half now? Oh, maybe pretty close to a percent and a half. Okay, where we were three months ago. Okay, so that's been enough to get some people back into the market. Yes. What happens when they drop two percent? It's like a reverse. It's a reverse uh, crash. Like yeah. it's the opposite of a crash. But what's going to happen is it's going to turn it into chaos. It's well, turn and that's it into chaos. And that's what I was talking to this one woman about, and she almost verbatim what you were talking with this woman about and stuff. Yeah. And I said, so if it was 5% right now, would you tell them to go buy? She goes, oh, yeah. And I said, when did you buy your house? And she bought her house in 2021. I said, how much over market did you pay for it? Yeah, it was pretty heavy. I had to pay $40,000 over market. Right. And I said, let's take 2% interest or 1% or interest or 1.5% interest higher than what you just told me it would do Yeah. and divide that out. Right. And $40,000... It, it they could have gotten a nine percent and still paid less. I always think about that. Than just what she that was exact thinking. thing because when I was in the mortgage business, it, the rates were dropping like crazy. They went from when I started, it was two thousand. I forget what year it was. Two thousand, two thousand one. Oh, so they were like so nine they, and a half. They were like nine and a half, but they dropped down to six. Yeah, like in my first three or four months. Yeah, and it was like the guy that w I was working with, the the guy that was teaching me loans, was like, if they drop below six percent. It's going to be crazy. Like, everybody's going to refinance. And, I mean, we were filled in calls. People want to refinance all the time. But people would refinance one, two, three times in a year. Yeah. It was crazy. 
it was crazy it was what crazy they were doing. What they were doing. And, and it was like the moment when I first like understood what was going on. It's like, okay, your closing costs are $7,000 mm-hmm. and you're going to save $50 a month. Yeah. The math you're going to save $50 sense. a month. You divide that into 7,000. How many months do you have to stay in your house for this to make sense? I call it the recoverability calculation. Okay. Yeah. When you did that, you just recently with that uh, woman that we had buying a house and she was ready to take, she was ready to pay points to get a lower rate when she was going to have a temporary loan. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. going to have a temporary loan until she p- sold her other house. Yeah. She's going to take a temporary loan at a lower rate and pay for the rate so that she can have a lower rate. But it had nobody ever did the calculation with her. Yeah. The and recovery she, cal- calculation. Yeah. And then once she realized that, like, the recovery calculation she was looking at was, like, it was, like, seven years. Right. You and know, it was, for, it, for it a was loan, like a, she, two years. She was going to have the loan, maybe two at the most. Two at the most. So those are the things you have to look at when you're looking at somebody. So I tell everybody, you know, would you rather go buy a house right now? Okay, or here, here's here's a better way to say it. You can change everything about a house. You can change the color of it. You can change the cabinets. Okay, right. you can change the driveway, the way it looks. The one thing you can never change is what you bought it for. Right. So you go buy a house right now. You're not out there in competition with sixty other people. You're not paying forty thousand dollars over value. So then you buy that, and the rates drop in eight, ten, twelve months. Right. Well, then does it make sense for you to refinance? Right. Maybe. As long as it costs you less than 40 grand, I guess it does. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's really the part that people just can't comprehend is I don't want to buy anything right now. Or they just haven't talked to the right people. They haven't gotten with the right people that could, that have actually thought about that and can put that on a piece of paper right in front of them with a calculator. And me as an investor, I'm out there looking at houses every single day right now trying to buy as many as I can because I didn't buy any in 21 or 22. Right. You know, because you couldn't. Right. I'm not going to go out there and overpay 40 grand for a house. Yeah. I'm going to sit down here and wait until I can pick these houses up for a good, fair value. And then I can refinance my rate in a year. And so, and then when those markets go back up there, now I'm sitting here and I can do all the stuff that I want to do without yeah. having to compete against everybody else. It's the end game. I still get the good rate, but I got the house for cheaper. I'm so lucky to have you in my life. <laughs> I really am. Man. I really am. I really am. So are my clients. Like, that's a big deal because I, I just see so many people at such surface level. Like they're just, they don't know why their business isn't moving right now. They don't know why they're not able to help people. Well, there it is. We just, I mean, the, you know, the recovery, what did you call it? I covered my recoverability calculation. Recoverability calculation. And I mean, I think that's the difference between someone making a move today and waiting a year to see if the rates drop, what's the recovery going to be then? Mm-hmm. Is it worth, but you got to just do the math. And most of your lenders out there right now, I mean, and ourselves included, I mean, if somebody was to do a loan with us right now and in eight months they come back and do a refinance, the fees are going to be, you know, severely discounted. Right. So it's not going to cost them nearly what a normal refinance would be. As long as they can do it inside that 12 months, a lot of that stuff we can reuse. You know, we reuse the, you know, the underwriting is an update. The title work is an update. The appraisal's brand new because the market changes every day. But, and then we usually give... you know, a repeat client discount on that. So usually we can keep the cost nominal. I try to say that I try to keep my cost on somebody that's a repeat client within that period to less than 18 months. I know you work with a lot of horrible real estate. I know you work with a few good ones. I right? work with a lot of good ones, yeah. What would be some advice for somebody that's new in real estate? Set a plan and stick to it. Set a plan and stick to it. What do you mean by that? Right now I can call, I bet you I could pick up the phone and call 20 realtors and I'm going to get one of two people. 
One person is going to be in the office making phone calls, calling their clients, talking to people, and the other one's going to be at home watching Days of Our Lives. It's easy to get sucked into when things aren't as busy as they have been, and you've been, and everybody's been so busy the last two years. Right. It's easy to get sucked into, man. I'm glad to have a break. Yeah. And then I'm glad to have a break turns into, oh, I really watch. I, I like the show. I want to watch it. Yeah. To where you're sitting there binge watching eight hours a day or flipping through TikToks or during the day. Oh yeah. People do that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's crazy. You know, uh, I literally had one the other day. I called a realtor down in Tennessee and I was talking about a deal and she's like, she sent me a text. Hey, I'll call you back. She calls me back. She goes, Oh, I was in the middle of one of my shows. I need to finish. It. And I was literally calling her with a client that her and I did four years ago. That's wanting to get back out there and look at houses. And she was watching the show. What if I'd have been that client? What if I'd have moved on to the next person? So if your plan is to be real estate, do real estate. Right. Treat it like a job. I know we've had conversations about it before, but like people that real estate agents that are like how they show their value in a transaction. I know that you've shared with me some of the times where people speak up and they think that they're helping the situation. What would be some advice to someone that's in a sticky deal or a deal that's given them some problems? Get out of their own way. Get out of their own way. Right. A lot of people try to interject themselves. Um, if you walk into a house and it has the ugliest wallpaper you've ever seen, that person may love that wallpaper. Yeah. And if you were as an agent go, oh my gosh, I hate this wallpaper. You've instantaneously told, put a negative thought in that person's mind and everything when they walk through that house. Right. They may love that wallpaper, you know, and you're not that person. Right. I hear that more when I have a client call me and say, hey, listen, do you have a different realtor? Yeah, because that happens. It happens all the time. And it's not that, you know, I want to refer them out. I was like, yeah, I know some good ones. Right. Here, why don't you make a couple phone calls and choose one that you like? Yeah. You know, it's not a good situation to put me in. I don't think in. I've ever gotten one of those phone calls. Um, No, not that I can think of right now. you got another person you're giving, phone numbers you're giving out. That's what's happening. Yeah. So it's one of those things that you let your customers make their own decisions. Yes. They're the ones going to live there. They're the ones that's going to have to pay the payments. Yes. You know, the day you make the payments, I guess you can make the decisions. Yes. You know, and I get that call more than ever. Or I the agent isn't listening to me. I think that's a big one. It's I, using the word I or yes. we. If it, real estate agents cut the word I and cut the word we out of their vocabulary, they'd save themselves a lot of trouble. You know, the number one thing that I get from clients that when they say good things about their agents, they all start with the same statement. I go, what did you like about your agent? They really listened to what we wanted. 99% of the time. Yeah. If somebody wants a three-bedroom, two-bath under $250,000, do not send them a $400,000 house. Right. You know, it's just not what they're looking for. Right. If they want one with five acres, well, I'm going to send them these ones inside of town. You know, they never know. They might find their, their jewel. Yeah. And then after they get about 10 or 15 of those and they open them and they realize it's not anything close to what they want, you know, they just didn't ask their customer what the most biggest priority is. Or they didn't explain their logic behind the safe search that they created for their Correct. client. Because if I'm not going to send the product property Zillow is, Zillow widens their search for people all the time. So mm -hmm. They send them things that are, aren't in their, their original, criteria. Their original criteria. But if you don't explain that to someone up, up front and say, right. look, I know you said 250. I'm going to put your search up to 300 just in case we're able to negotiate something down. I know I'm not trying to sell you anything more than you want. I just don't want you to miss anything over something that we may be able to negotiate in the future if it's still on the market. Good point. I, I agree 100% with the listening part. 
but you got to be able to clarify with them what you're doing so that they know that you're listening. Well, well repeat it you- back. Maybe repeat it back. Oh, so you want a $250,000 house, three bedroom, two bath, under 2,000 square feet. Okay, great. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to find that perfect house. So, yeah, I agree. And if you guys both, if, if the client and the realtor go into a transaction with both being on the same page, yeah, 90% of the time, that transaction goes very smooth. Yeah. Everybody's happy. Communication is great. Where I see breakdowns, you know, because I'm, I tell everybody I'm half psychologist, you know, yeah. because clients will tell me things they don't tell no anybody else. Right. I mean, even in their personal world, they'll tell you, they'll pull up in a, you know, brand new Escalade and then they'll call me going, my credit's bad and I got this at a buy here, pay here. Yeah. You know, so we get to hear a lot of the things and it, it's, it's really shocking to me sometimes how they won't speak up to their agents and say. No, and I think that's why we've done you, so many deals together because- you we work really ask. well with that kind of thing. Yes. Like we work really, I mean, that's a big reason why, you know, I, you know, it's funny. We find these deals falling apart with the other agents on the team. And it's like, well, who's the lender? I mean, there's more than just the loan, right? It's, it's a lot. There's more, there's more than just the loan because there's also people that will have feedback about the mortgage company, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's always going to be the feedback on, but if you're not listening to them, that back to the listening part, if you're not listening to what the feedback is, the most important thing that a client can do when they're going into a transaction is have a team of people backing them up that they know that's going to have their best interest at heart, right. that they're going to you know, look out for them, that they're not going to try to push them into something. Right. You know, and that's very important. I mean, I've got a lot of clients. Yeah. That I had one yesterday that called me back and said, hey, yeah, we're looking to sell our house and buy a new one. Uh, and this is in Ohio. And I said... <laughs> So you had to clarify. I had to clarify. You had to clarify because uh, I didn't get their phone number. And uh, and I said, you know, I said, okay, cool. I said, you know, you, I'll look them up. And I said, oh, you use this agent. Are you going to use them again? No, no, no. And I was like, oh, really? Why not? I always ask. Well, we always thought you looked out for our best interest. You explained what was going on. She just was really trying to push us to buy the houses that we really didn't want. Right. You know, so you've got to be able you to, can never, to read your clients. That's the thing. It's like I... I've studied sales like literally my whole life. And I'd like to say that, you know, from that, what I've learned is that it's not about sales. It's more about listening. Like Mm -hmm. you're not going to get, you're not going to sell somebody on a house. You're not going to sell them on an area. You're not going to sell. No, you have to listen to what they want and then you help them get it. That's what, and sometimes helping them get it. The sales part that comes into that is reminding them of what they're looking for, right? Reminding them of what you heard them say, or a feeling that they had about something, you know, reminding them, it's just paying attention to what's going on and really internalizing that to get people what they want. That's sales. What are the five things you need to pay attention to with your credit? Don't miss payments. Don't miss payments. Don't treat your credit like it's, you know, garbage and just throw it out there to anybody that wants it. Right. You know. Pay attention to the types of credit you're building, like, or types of, uh, types of credit that are available. Mortgages, uh, car loans, installment loans credit cards, retail cards, and at the bottom, those consumer loans. Yeah. Right? So I get this question asked to me every single day. Uh, and you, I think you asked me the last time that I didn't record, is where do I think rates are going to go in the next 12 months? Dude, where do you think rates are going to go in the next 12 months? I mean, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be a billionaire. Yeah. Okay. So I, I read a lot, of, uh, a lot of articles. I mean, I probably read eight to 10 articles a day, industry-related. Yeah. 
I use that as my development time. I mean, I don't think that that's a waste of time because it's the information I get is great. And the guys have a whole lot bigger checks than I do think that the rates, it was originally said that they thought that they were going to go to maybe six, one, six, two throughout 2024. I've seen some revisions in the last week or two that are starting to come out saying that rates are probably going to get to the five, seven, five, five, eight, seven, five range uh, by the end of the year. And they could possibly get down closer to, to five by in spring of 2025. So, you know, that's, that's a whole lot different than what we were talking about three months ago. Rates were 8% and they were like, man, we hope to get six and a half. Here we are and we're six and a half. Right. There's a lot of things that go into the rates and there is no one thing that's going to tell you where we're going to be at. I mean, we would have probably been at 8% two years ago had COVID not hit. Yeah. You know, so there's so much that gets played into those things that it's hard to really predict because you don't know what's going to happen, you know, going forward in the next 12 months. And I feel like what I've learned, well, I think the biggest lesson I've learned in the changes of the rates, like us hitting the eights, you know, after all the things that have happened over the past few years, right? The ups and the downs, the thing mm-hmm. that I've learned is that people are always buying houses. Mm-hmm. People are always selling houses. And like, you don't want to be part of the herd, like, you know, and that's what happened over, you know, a couple years ago, there was a herd, right? And it's the people right now that are, are getting deals on properties. Properties are still, values are still going up. They're just not going up as fast. But right now, I feel like it's a great opportunity to buy a home. And then the other part is doing the math and the recapture rate. Like, don't be stuck on the interest rate. Talk to someone and make a plan. See what that equity you have. See what the equity you have is going to do. If payment's so important, like what you're able to buy, you know, I mean, my first step is to get someone connected with you because I feel like you can do the math better with people when it comes to that kind of stuff. You know, that's my very that's first my thing. That's my job. Yeah. Right. That's my very first thing. I'm like, I'm. what's the interest? I don't know. Call Eric. Um, Warren Buffett didn't make his billions by following everybody else. No. Right. He, there's always opportunity in in the the off markets, I guess, is what you say. Is right. where the biggest opportunities for gain are. You know, I mean, you can go out there and buy a house for forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 less than you can buy it in eight months. Right. I mean, that's a huge ordeal. You do that 10 times in your lifetime and you're sitting really well. What about the first time homebuyer uh, seminar? You're putting out a one with Walker and... Uh... I mean, well, it's always great to get out there with uh, with good young agents that, yeah. are, that are willing to help, you know. And I mean, and I it, being in my seat, I get to see literally hundreds of new agents a year come into the business. And every once in a while, I get a few that, that really make me kind of smile. And those two kids are, are a couple of them. They work hard. They really care about people. They're genuine. Good, good guys. Good guys. Good guys. Um, you know, so when they called me and asked me to do a homebuyer seminar, and I've probably gotten asked 25 times since first of the year. Yeah. And they're the first ones I've said yes to. I'm willing to help somebody that I feel is, is actually going to try to help their clients and help them get a, a, a real advantage going forward and give them some good information. So you're going to be uh, putting on a home buyer seminar. That's going to be Saturday, February 24th at 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, Eric Kimball, Walker, Mac, and Cam Efoy. Uh, the website for information is lexingtonworkshop.com, uh, lexingtonworkshop.com, and that'll get you, uh, you'll be able to sign up, see you know an overview of what's going to go down at that uh, workshop. And uh, thanks, man. I always no worries. I appreciate you, man. See you, brother.